In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Atlanta airport is so large that there is a separate freeway to the domestic terminal from the international terminal. And I don't mean one of those spur freeways with three digits like 865 or 510. Interstate 75 goes to the international terminal. Interstate 85 goes to the domestic terminal. I-75 starts in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan and goes all the way to Miami, Florida. I-85 starts in Richmond, Virginia and ends in Montgomery, Alabama. These are major freeways. Last month, I flew into Atlanta to visit friends back east. Getting my rental car was a harrowing experience, but I eventually got on the road. I-75 south to Macon, where I planned to spend the night, then I-16 to Savannah. After visiting a friend in Savannah, I drove to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, to pick up my friend Jamie, who is an overseas missionary. We were driving together from Myrtle Beach to Cincinnati, a 10-hour drive, where he would pick up another rental car and we would separate to see friends in Indiana, Michigan, and Ohio. Jamie tells me that 100,000 people come into Myrtle Beach each week during the summer and 100,000 people leave. We were leaving at 6.30 on a Saturday morning and there are no freeways into or out of Myrtle Beach. We were totally dependent on our GPS to get us to I-95, which would then get us to I-20 West and eventually to I-75 North, which would get us to Cincinnati. This was my first time to travel with GPS. Some of the routes to I-95 from Myrtle Beach take back roads. The GPS would suggest routes that were a few minutes faster sometimes, but other times it would suggest a route that was an hour slower and had several dollars in tolls. It seemed like it took nearly two hours just to get to I-95. Even though I had the GPS map, I didn't really know where I was. The map of the whole route was too small. So I just took the turns they told me to and trusted that all those computers and servers and satellite would get me where I was going. And they did. We arrived in Cincinnati with a few stops for gas and a stop at a Wendy's for lunch. Jamie picked up his rental car and headed for Fort Wayne and I continued to Indianapolis. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In today's readings, we see two very godly men, Elijah in the Old Testament and St. Peter in the Gospel, who are looking to the Lord to get them where they're going. Today's Old Testament reading needs some context. Elijah had just come off a great victory for God, the story of Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal. But after this great victory, the wife of King Ahab, a woman named Jezebel, threatens to kill Elijah and he runs away. Elijah asks the Lord that he might die. And an angel of the Lord comes to him, feeds him, and tells him to journey to Mount Horeb, which is, in fact, also called Mount Sinai, where Moses met with God and received the Ten Commandments about 650 years before. That's the context where our reading begins, on Mount Horeb in a cave. And that cave may have been the same place where Moses hid his face from God as God passed by behind him. And just like Moses, the Lord comes to Elijah and speaks to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replies that even though he has been a faithful and zealous prophet of God, his message has fallen on deaf ears. The people of Israel have ignored God. They have desecrated sacred places and murdered other prophets. I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away, he says. 
He's depressed and he wants a break. The Lord tells Elijah to stand on the mount before the Lord. He goes outside the cave and we're told the Lord passes by. A great wind comes along, an earthquake and a fire, but the Lord is not in these things. English scholar Donald Wiseman reminds us about these destructive forces. He writes, The upheaval of nature in powerful winds, earthquakes, floods, or storms is associated with God's action in revelation and judgment. It is reminiscent of the covenant at Mount Sinai and the commissioning of Moses and the people. Each were well-known signs of judgment on sin, but did not themselves convey the whole message. Indeed, the message to Elijah comes not in the earthly catastrophes, but in a still, small voice. Elijah recognizes the voice as the voice of God and, like Moses, covers his face. He had run away afraid and depressed, but God has more for him. Now we get a repeat, usually a means of emphasis in Hebrew literature. What are you doing here, Elijah? And the same answer, I'm serving God wholeheartedly, but everyone else is ready to kill me. Then the Lord speaks clearly. There is a new task for the depressed prophet. Israel is being threatened militarily by Syria, and the Lord wants Elijah to anoint a new king of Syria, Hazael. He is also to replace the feckless Ahab in Israel with Jehu. These two acts will eventually lead to the destruction of Israel in 722 BC. His last task, to appoint Elisha as his own successor, which happens in the verses immediately following today's reading. Hardly a happy outcome for the depressed prophet, right? Remember though, Elijah's main complaint to God is that he alone is left. The Lord says, no, you're not alone. Elijah is, Elisha is there to take your place, and besides him there are 7,000 others. Elijah obeys God and carries out this new mission God has given him. Notice that God takes the sin of his people quite seriously. The events that Elijah sets in motion lead to the destruction of a chosen people who had become an unfaithful nation. Not all of them, though. 7,000 survive and continue to serve God's mission. The first verse of today's psalm emphasizes this idea. I will listen to what the Lord God is saying, for he is speaking peace to his faithful people and to those who turn their hearts to him. Elijah hears God's quiet voice in a sacred place and moves and acts on what he hears. But how do we hear God today? Our New Testament reading addresses this at the end of the reading. But how are men to call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. St. Paul has spent nine verses telling the Roman church about believing in Jesus. The Orthodox Study Bible reminds us this belief refers to placing one's whole trust in the resurrected Christ and living with Jesus as one's Lord. Only the giving of the whole self to Christ is belief unto righteousness. It is today's gospel, however, where we get a picture of what faith, what belief, what righteousness really look like for you and me. 
Matthew chapter 14 begins with the bloody story of St. John the Baptist's execution, and then comes the feeding of the 5,000, which we read last Sunday. Crowds are following Jesus around by this point in his ministry, and we are frequently told in the Gospels that our Lord goes away by himself to spend time in prayer. As an aside, think through that for yourself. If Jesus needs time in prayer, the creator of the universe, the word made flesh, the savior of the world, if he needs time in prayer, how much more do you and I need time in prayer? But I digress. The Lord goes off to pray and sends the disciples in a boat across the sea. They're out in the middle of the sea, and it's also the middle of the night. And Jesus comes to them walking on the water. That's right, the God who became man, who healed the sick, made the lame to walk, and the blind to see could walk on water. Not really much of a stretch to believe that Jesus could walk on water, is it? The disciples, however, were, our text tells us, terrified. They think he's a ghost and they cry out in fear. Jesus calms them. Take heart, it is I, have no fear. It's translated, it is I, most of the time, but the literal translation is, I am. You may remember that in John chapter 8, Jesus tells the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. The Pharisees recognize this as the divine name of God, consider it blasphemous, and want to kill him, and eventually they do. This is the same phrase that our Lord says in St. John's Passion Narrative, John chapter 18. When the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, they tell him they are seeking Jesus the Nazarene. He tells them, I am, and they back off and fall to the ground. Very powerful, this name of God. And this brings us to Peter, always the one to speak up and say something, except of course in the Passion Narrative, always the one to be first, the first one to follow Jesus. Peter wants to get in on this walking on the water stuff, and the Lord says, come. Peter gets out and walks out to Jesus. Then Peter notices the wind. He's afraid and he starts to sink. Reminds me of the parable of the sower from my last sermon, where the cares of this life choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Peter calls out, Lord, save me and Jesus catches him. Reminds me of verse 13 from our New Testament reading in Romans. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When Jesus catches him, the Lord says, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? Good question, right? Reminds me of when our Lord says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. In spite of the doubt of Peter, we're told the others believe and say, truly, you are the Son of God. Peter's the one who got out of the boat and walked out to Jesus. The others stay in the boat, but everyone believes. Let's take a look at today's collect, for it is fitting for these readings. Grant to us, Lord, we beseech thee, the spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we, who cannot exist without thee, may by thee be enabled to live according to thy will, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Elijah cannot exist without the Lord. He'd run away and hide. Peter was fine as long as he looked to Jesus. 
We too cannot exist without the Lord. The GPS may guide us from one place to another, but it won't keep us on top of the water. Elijah hears the quiet voice of God. Peter looks to Jesus to keep himself above water. There are lots of distractions in today's world, yes? There are many distractions even here in church. Over the last few months, I've noticed a big distraction in church, and not just here, but in a couple of other places where I have spoken. It keeps us from hearing that still, small voice that Elijah heard. What is it? The PA system. Microphones and amplification. Two weeks ago, I was speaking at a church that has supported my ministry for 35 years. They asked me to put on one of those over-the-head microphones, even though we were in a very small space. This microphone had loops for both ears. It was really headgear, and I found it very annoying. But how often have we had a reader innocently begin reading and the mic be too loud or too soft? For some reason, every reader believes it necessary to move the microphone, even though there's a sign on the lectern that reads, don't touch the microphone. When Father Doran returns next month, you watch. The first thing he does when he begins to preach is adjust the microphone. How often has the priest forgotten to turn on his microphone for the great Thanksgiving? How often have the choir microphones been left on to hear the choir chatting about the need for a new organ before the service? Let's imagine a church without a PA system. How would that work? Well, for one thing, people might sit closer to the front. People would have to be quiet so that everyone could hear, especially before church, when some want to come in and pray. Readers would just read, preachers would just preach, musicians would sing and play, and people would complain. He's hard to hear, and she doesn't read loud enough. If it's not one thing, it's another. But we come here, into this building especially, not to see each other. We can see each other outside before the service, in Eid Hall after the service, or even for lunch during the week. But here, we come to be in the presence of God. Together, yes, but with Him. As Elijah came out of the cave to hear God, we come in here. As Peter got out of the boat to be with Jesus, we come here. And here, we join with each other, but also with the faithful around the world and with all the company of heaven in ancient prayers, hymns, and liturgies of the church. And no matter how accurate your GPS is, it won't get you any closer than the parking lot. And although God is with you in the parking lot, he's here with all of us together. So let's give him a listen, shall we? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.